When you're scaling a business from six to seven figures, there is absolutely nothing more frustrating than hiring people to take things off of your plate only to have to step back in and fix the problems you hired them to solve for you. If this has ever happened to you, then keep listening because I have a very special guest with me here today who's going to help you solve this problem in your business once and for all. That's all coming up next, so stay tuned. Globally ranked among the top shows in business and education, we're known for helping overworked online business owners navigate the ups and downs on the way to seven figures. Each week, you're going to learn how to get the right systems, structure, and support in place so you can build a self-sustaining business that thrives in a rapidly changing digital environment and grow through what you go through to create the greater income, influence, and impact you deserve. This is Anti-Fragile Entrepreneurship. If you've hired someone in the last six months who looked great on paper, but didn't meet their deadlines and their KPIs like you expected them to, or if you've ever been in a situation where you procrastinated letting someone go because you thought if you just gave them more time or more training, that things would get better, this episode is for you. J.M. Ryerson is here with me today to help you solve this problem for good so that you can stay focused on your zone of genius and build a high-performing team with a great culture that actually meets their KPIs and takes initiative and does the work you hired them to do. Now, J.M. is an international speaker. He's a business coach. He's a best-selling author. But what he's really gifted at is helping high-performing leaders like you define their individual styles in order to grow the impact and the profits of their business while building high-performing teams to support them in the process. And today, he's here to reveal the number one thing that nobody is talking about when it comes to building a high-performing team, as well as the specific kind of interview you need to be doing to determine someone's level of integrity from the jump and whether or not their behavior actually matches what they're saying on paper. And finally, he's going to show you how to actually let go of the work that you've been afraid to let go of, because you haven't yet been able to fully trust anyone else to do it as well as you do. So if you're ready, let's get into it. JM, welcome to the Anti-Fragile Entrepreneurship Podcast. I am thrilled to have you here today. I've gotten to know you recently over the past couple of months and have been following your work. And it is an honor to have you here. I can't wait for all that we're about to dig into. Well, thank you for having me. I am blessed to be on your show and it was awesome getting to know you and having you on mine. So this this could be great. We're going to have a great time. Yes. So, you know, I want to jump right in with you because something that you emphasize a lot in your work is the importance of individual style and how that translates into tangible growth for us as entrepreneurs in terms of impact, in terms of profits. And I want to get your take on this. First, if we could start by having you define what does that mean? What do you mean by style? And then explain how understanding this and embracing this can actually lead to tangible growth in our businesses. Yeah, so the the highest vibrational frequency a human being operates in is being authentic. Most most people think it's gratitude and we have gratitude practice, which by the way I do too, 
But truly, they have done studies and being authentic is the highest frequency you can operate in. So why is that important? Because it doesn't take any energy to just be you. It takes so much energy to be something that you're not. And why do I know this so well? Because I did it for the first company and a half. I thought I had to sound a certain way, look a certain way. I acted a certain way. And it was all, it was so much work. And instead of doing that, once I realized that, hey, JM, who you are, just the kid from Montana that's, you know, I'm a jeans and t-shirt, just like I'm in a t-shirt today. Like, this is who I am. I'm super comfortable in it. And I'm going to give it everything I have. So I think to answer your question, just having that clarity to know this is my style. It doesn't take any effort or energy to show up as something that I'm not. This is who I am. And some people like it. Some people don't. But it's none of my business either way. So I'm just going to give 100% intentional focus on here's my style. And that's being vulnerable. vulnerable. It's being authentic. It's just being me. And it doesn't take any effort. So I hope that answers your question. But for me, that was why it was so important to define is just to find more energy to build these amazing companies that you can do instead of trying to sound or look a certain way. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And what you're tapping into here is so key. We hear this, you know, authenticity, be yourself. That's how you're going to stand out. There's no one like you. And we hear all of these messages. Yet at the same time, especially in the world of online business, of entrepreneurship, we feel like we have to become someone we're not because we need to be professional or we need to put, you know, make this act on like we know what we're talking about, that we're this expert, right? We want to be seen as this expert. I'm so guilty of this. I mean, if you go back and listen to old podcast episodes or old videos of mine on Facebook, I don't recommend doing this, but if you were to do this, you would see a different person. And she was someone who was so guarded and who was so poised. And I would get people telling me that all the time. You're so put together. You're so poised. For years in my business, people didn't even know I was from the South because you couldn't detect a hint of twang in my voice at all. And you're right about the energy piece. And this is what I want people listening to really understand. So going back to what you said a moment ago about that energy, so often in our businesses, we're drained. We're exhausted. We go to bed wondering how we're going to get up tomorrow and do it again. And we wonder how can we become more energetic so we might turn to nutrition or we turn to exercise or whatever the latest fad is, right? Even if it's just drinking more water in a day, how can we get more energy, trying to optimize our sleep? And those things are good. But what I hear you saying is that it's actually less about the things we're doing and more about who we're being. So tell us a little bit about how can we tap into this authentic energy of our authentic selves? Because when we've constructed this persona for so long, there's some beliefs that develop along with that from a mindset perspective. Unconsciously, we don't even realize it. So how do we begin to recognize those and then undo them so that we can rediscover, well, who is it that I actually am? And now how can I share that person with those that I work with and encounter? Yeah, it's a big question. And it's a good one. Getting quiet with yourself. And this isn't me preaching meditation, although I am because I freaking love it. And I do it every single day, several times a day, because I love it. And it really brings joy and fulfillment. But it also allows me to be clear on who I am. So for instance, you said some of these beliefs. Again, I was raised in Montana, I was taught that boys don't cry for 
all of my life. And yet I started my first book on vulnerability because I realized how important truly being vulnerable, sharing what's going on in my world, because I am by nature a stuffer, man. I would just stuff that stuff down, put it way down. So then it blows like a volcano. Well, guess what? That's not good for anyone. But rather, if I actually express how I'm feeling, I find that A, people can follow that. They believe in me because it's my true authentic self. And I'm not doing harm to myself. Now, the other thing professionally is being really clear on what you're good at and what you're not. So for instance, I've been a CFO at one of my companies. I've been a COO at one of my companies. I'm terrible at both of those jobs. I'm good at one thing that I, I'm, I'm good at leadership, building teams, and performance. Those are like, I know my area and they raise me up. So for instance, if you were to put me in to be a CFO, I would be drained. I, Courtney, I would be the person going to bed saying, I don't know how I'm going to get up the next day. That's awful. And I actually recently had a client where Justin was put in a position. Everybody told me Justin is awful. He is the biggest a hole you can imagine. And guess what? I sat with Justin and he lived up to the billing. And then I asked him, Justin, do you actually like what you do? He was in recruiting. He's like, no, why, why are you in this position? Well, that was the job they're hiring for. Well, what are you good at? Marketing. We put Justin from recruiting to marketing. And now not only is he not an a-hole, he is like Moses parting the Red Sea. People love him because he is in his zone of genius. So being really clear on what you're good at, what fulfills you, it's going to show up in your work. And so that's really getting quiet to figure out what do I love? Oh, I love talking to people. I love building teams. I love leadership. Okay, cool. Let's do that instead of being a CFO, which I wasn't very good at to begin with. It filled the role for the moment, but gosh, I, if I was still doing it today, I'd be going to bed tired every night, just like you described. Yeah. I relate to this so much. This is why I do this podcast because I value connection. I love having conversations like this with people and I love bringing out people's wisdom and being able to share that with others who can glean from that and apply that in a very practical way, not just in a theoretical one. So that's one of the one example of how I live that in my business. There are also other times though where I find myself and I'm imagining for those listening right now they probably have experienced this too where they are doing things in their business that they're good at but that aren't their zone of genius, but they've been told by others, you should be doing this because you're good at it. Or maybe they hate it and they don't like the thing, but they've been told by others and maybe people they've paid and hired to help them grow their businesses who have said, you should be doing it this way to get X, Y, Z result. So what would you say and what advice would you give for those people listening right now who are experiencing that? And they're like, yeah, JM, that sounds great. I would love to live in my zone of genius every damn day, but I've also got all these other things that I've got to do. And how do I balance that? How do I begin to spend more time on the things that I'm good at, in addition to identifying what those are as the first step, but then also taking care of other things that maybe I don't have anyone else in the business to take care of right now? Well, right now, if you don't, look, you have to do what you have to do as a solopreneur or if you're just starting. I get that. However, the moment that you see an opportunity where you're like, look, I don't like doing this. I'm not very good at it anyway, or even if I'm great at it, but it's draining me, guess what? Provide that opportunity to someone else and now you're growing. 
And that's what's crazy is the moment you let go. So all those type A control freaks listening right now, the moment that you let go and say, look, if I have to do everything, I am stunting my growth immediately. I'm not going very far. The moment you let go and say, I'm going to do what I'm really good at. So JM, I'm good at leadership. I know that. Cool. Live there. Not good at accounting. Great. Let's hire somebody. I'm growing. Immediately, my business is growing. And that's when people really start to take that next step where they're like, look, I'm just providing opportunities to someone and I'm actually filling my bucket. Guess what? Now we're starting to grow and it's going to be uncomfortable. That's great. That means you're growing. So that's what I would tell you is, look, I get it in the beginning when you have to do it. I've done the same. But the moment you see even an inkling of a possibility, give that opportunity to someone else. Now you're growing. And I don't know many people that don't love to grow, but I know a lot of people that like to have control. You're going to have to let go of that to really grow. What kind of expectations would you recommend we set when we're in the midst of that process? Because a lot of times when we're doing work that we hate or work that drains us, we want to not be doing that kind of work as quickly as we possibly can. And I have made this mistake in my own business where I'm like, all right, great. I'm going to delegate. I know what I don't want to be doing. I hire someone to take care of it. Of course, there's that learning curve that the new person has to go through to be able to catch on. And maybe you go through a couple people, right? And there's that element of time that a lot of us don't factor into this process. So how can we realistically set expectations for ourselves when we are, first of all, learning to let go as those of us who are used to managing it all? right? To feel safe. It fulfills that deeper need for us to feel safe when things are in control and managed by us. So as we're learning that and letting go, learning how to do that, how long does that take? I know it varies for people, but what kind of expectations should we be setting during that process? Well, part of your expectations are setting timelines. The biggest challenge that most people when they start to hire people is that they're not clear. There's ambiguity. And guess what? People don't like they don't thrive in that position where if you're not clear on, hey, this is the expectation of what we're looking to do. Now, give that to them and back away. Checking in on a weekly at a minimum basis to see how is, how is it going? Are we hitting the marks that we need? Do you have adequate support? That's it. Not let me show you how to do this. Let me fix it and save it because guess what? Now you're doing double work. You're doing their work and you're doing what you're trying to be doing. So the big idea, Courtney, is let's set expectations for when is this, uh, whatever the job is going to be. Here's the timeline and let go. Do not micromanage because that is the biggest challenge is you bring somebody on and they make one mistake. You're like, yep, there it is. They didn't do as good as I, I would have done so much better than that. And uh, then now you're going to have attrition. You're not going to have, so you have to be able to let go Set the timeline for 90 days, 30 days, whatever it is. Check in weekly and then let them thrive. Don't come in and be like the parent that doesn't want their kid to fall off the bike. Let them fall off the bike. That's how you learn to ride. You didn't learn by dad holding on to the, the you know, bike the whole time. No, you got to fall once or twice. Let them fall. They will figure it out but you have to let go. So it is hard to say like, hey, it's 30 days, it's 60 days, it's 90 days. You don't know. But letting go is the key component for people to really grow. 
Yeah. Do you have any kind of systems or processes or frameworks that you recommend in the hiring process, both on the front end when you're hiring and trying to find that perfect team member? Maybe I should remove the word perfect, right? But finding that team member that can fill the role that you're looking for and then getting them onboarded, getting them trained, you know, alongside of setting expectations like we're talking about. Do you have anything that, you know, maybe for those listening today, just one thing that they should be thinking about? You know, I remember yeah. whenever I started thinking about interviewing people who aligned with our company values, it was like mind blowing for me because I'm like, oh, I haven't been doing that. And it made all the difference. Right. So how can we practically take what you're telling us and apply that in our own hiring processes with our teams? Well, you just gave one of the biggest ones, which is be clear on your core values and interview to that. So often people look at a resume and they're like, oh, what did what was your previous background? I, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me, honestly. I want to know, are they a good fit culturally? And then do what's called behavioral interviewing. So for instance, instead of saying, do you believe in hard work? That's a yes or no question. Yes, I do. What did that tell you? No, Courtney, do you believe in hard work? I do. Cool. Give me an example of what hard work means to you. And now you have to dig into your Rolodex and your brain to say, this is what hard work and is it consistent? Does she really believe in hard work if that's one of our values? So that idea of behavioral interviewing is so important to ask an open-ended question and follow up with, can you give me an example of what that looks like in your life? That will show you so much faster who they really are. The other thing that I will tell you, if this is a big hire, take them out to lunch, take them out golfing, that's four hours where you get to watch somebody. How do they really behave? For instance, I took a guy golfing one time. I mean, he had the resume of every superstar you ever wanted. He nailed the interview behaviorally. Awesome. He was a really good actor because when we got out to the golf course, he got a six on a hole and he's like, yeah, I got a four. I'm like, okay, cool. But I don't say anything. I'm just observing to be like, why don't you have integrity is a that's a core value that's a permission to play value and you can't even report a golf score to me that no one will ever know about yeah you're not a good fit so that's another little trick that you can do is just see how they treat the wait staff if you take them out to lunch see how they do on a, an environment that's not just in the interview chair and if you can bring in the significant other as well if that's allowed hr protocols i'm not an hr person but if you can bring in the spouse, you'll also learn a ton about them. This is fascinating. I've never heard it put that way, you know, behavioral interviewing. And it's so practical. It's so tangible. But then taking it a step further to get to know them as they operate and how they show up and who they're being and everything we're talking about with authenticity, right? Are they living what they're saying to you? And how does that actually come out in their ways of being? So for us as entrepreneurs who are hiring, let's say we're doing what you're telling us to do. You know, we've gotten clear on our core values. We have tried to find candidates who match those values on paper. We've interviewed them to see if they match them verbally, right? Having a conversation. And then we've taken it that step further. We've taken them out to lunch and we're kind of looking at how they behave. Let's back up for a second. When it comes to writing that job description, are there any ways that you recommend we should be formulating that or not phrasing necessarily, but constructing that to attract aligned candidates from the get-go so that 
whenever you do reach the interview process, you kind of narrowed it down already. And then by the time you're doing the interviews and taking them out to lunch or golfing, right, you may be only doing that with two, three people. Well, simplifying the job description, I think, is one of the most important things. I've watched so often people get mired down in all the details of the job description and the candidate lives in there. They're like, well, this is what you hired me for. So I look, this is you told me I got to do this. I actually simplify it and give them the core three things they need to do. So for instance, checking email probably is never going to be one of those core three things. But if you're a recruiting person, maybe it's a hundred phone calls uh, daily. Maybe it's hiring five people per month, whatever your, your metrics are, because now you've set the expectations where it's, I believe in what's called a result only work environment. Daniel Pink brought the subject up in the book drive and it's brilliant. I don't care if you work 60 hours, that none of that means anything to me. I hope you don't because that's way too much in my opinion. But what I do care about is the results for the business. So when I think of the job description, what are the core three things that they really need to be doing to see success? Now, I give them to give that to them and I look for the results. I don't sit there and go, you have to do this, 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 this is the exact person. No, here's the core things I need done. Does that make sense to you? Then we do the behavioral interviewing. Oh yeah, you are aligned culturally. Hey, this could be a good fit. But the other thing I'll say is I, there is a saying that has worked well, slow to hire quick to fire. And there's a lot of truth to that. The moment you see that this was a bad hire, don't hold on because I promise you, you're not feeling great about it. They're not feeling great about it. And it's just ruining the culture of your team. Yeah. So true. So true. And you've worked with a lot of high performance leaders and helping them optimize their teams, you know, from everything that you're saying right now, starting at brass tacks with the hiring process. And what does that look like, right? To onboarding candidates, to getting them ingrained in the culture of your company. And something else that I know you're really passionate about is helping the leaders at the top find more balance between their work, which they love and they throw themselves into, and their lives, which are also important to them, but which sometimes don't always come as the top priority. So how do you specifically help these leaders navigate these challenges? Because, you know, we talk a lot about anti-fragility and growing through what you go through here on the podcast. And even as you're in the throes of scaling a business and growing a team, there are a lot of ups and downs on the way. And there are times where you've got to take that yoke on your shoulders and carry the weight for a while. But what tools can you suggest? And I know you've got a book out about this as well, like to be able to help us practically build more buffer time, more time for ourselves, more margin in our calendars while we're in the thick of building high-performing teams and scaling our companies. Yeah, the question why is going to come up often throughout. So for instance, when I see most executives or entrepreneurs, they're struggling in two ways. They're struggling with their health or they're struggling with their relationships. Business is crushing. They're, you know, seven figures a year, eight figures a year, whatever it is. But the question of why. So I always go back to why are you doing this business to begin with? Well, to provide for my family. They're the most important thing in the world. Okay, cool. You're not showing that because you're putting 
a hundred hours into the business every single week, that's not leaving you enough time to actually provide for the family that you're talking about. Now, are there sprints where you have to absolutely put your nose to the grindstone? Absolutely. We all go through it as, as entrepreneurs or business owners, but you also need to realize that your health is your wealth. That statement is the most true. I've Steve Jobs is the best example. The guy had like $6 billion in the bank and he literally lost his life to cancer. Now, that's awful. And obviously you don't want that, but it just goes to show your health is your wealth. So why is this important to you? My family's most important to me. Okay, cool. So let's get some balance between taking care of the business and taking care of your family, taking care of your health so you can enjoy the fruits of your labor from all the work that you've been doing. So I just ask the question, why often? Why are we doing this? And once, once they really talk it through, they're like, you're right. I need to realign my priorities. And typically what we talked about earlier, I need to let go of control. The control freak thing is real and it really does stunt your growth and it hampers your relationships and your health. So be able to let go, give someone else an opportunity to thrive and just start to really enjoy the shelf life now continues to raise. And now you're not looking at being burnt out. You're enjoying what you're doing again. That's why you started this to begin with, because you were excited about the idea. You want to take care of the family. So just ask, why am I doing it? Yeah. And when we're in the thick of that burnout season, you know, where it's almost like this low-key depression. Maybe we haven't been diagnosed with depression and maybe it hasn't reached, you know, clinical depression stages, but we're experiencing this low energy, this suppressed energy, this kind of mindset towards everything or attitude towards everything that, oh, just going through the motions. This doesn't feel good. This, I don't have a spark anymore. Where can I find my groove again? We tend to say these kinds of phrases and things. And so the letting go is huge. The why is huge because that helps us reconnect with that spark. I know that has been so, so key for me in my own journey. When I remember to ask myself that question, <laughs> that's the key because it's like, oh, yeah, Courtney, by the way, you need to sit down and reexamine this because it changes and it evolves. And I want to circle back to something that you said earlier, JM, about vulnerability. Because I know for a lot of us, this is tough, maybe more so for men than women. I'm not trying to stereotype or, you know, generalize here. But one thing that right before we hit record that I was telling you was we sent my son off to kindergarten this week. And he's been in the school setting for the past three years since he was two. So school isn't new for him. But the school that he's in is new for him. Teachers are new. Classmates are new. The environment's new. Everything's different. And every morning he has just been crying because even though he comes home excited to share what he's learned in the day and, you know, he gets excited about what he's learning. He's also feeling a lot of emotions about leaving home and being away from me in the day, you know, and. I had a text come in from a family member this morning who well-intended was like, well, can you maybe just try to incentivize him and tell him, hey, we'll go get some ice cream at the end of the day, you know, if you can stop crying. And I replied back and I'm like, well, actually, I want him to know that it's okay to cry. And I want him to know that it's normal to miss me. And I want to also teach him that he's going to have fun at school, but it may just take some time. So I bring all this back to, you know, when we're in the thick of burnout, a lot of times, you know, we know we need to be vulnerable, but how much do we share? What does that look like? Because sometimes I think there's a fear there from people that if I share too much, people will think less of me. 
or if I really share how raw this is for me, then people won't think I'm the expert that I'm presenting myself to be, which goes back to this conversation on authenticity. So what are your recommendations there when it comes to being vulnerable? How do we strike a balance between sharing authentically, but also not just, you know, letting our emotions spill out over the floor and expecting other people to, to take that? Yeah, it's, a, it's not an easy one to answer for because everybody's so different. So I'll go to me personally. Freedom is one of, it's my favorite F word in the world, freedom. And so for me, that means freedom to just be me, to be completely authentic, to be uncensored. So I'm 100% everything's out there, right? There's nothing you can't ask me that I wouldn't answer. I'm, I, I, I'm an open book. Now, what, why that's important to me is that allows freedom. So that's my core value is freedom. So I don't want to even hold back even a little bit and think like, oh gosh, they might judge me because now that's infringing on my freedom. So you really have to look inward and say, what do I value most? And some people, privacy is really important to them. So if I value privacy, then I'm only going to let what I'm really comfortable with, which is being authentic. I only want to show so much because I want to have a level of privacy. Cool. So now you're aligned with your core values to know that privacy is important. I'm going to share enough so that I'm letting people in, but not enough so that they know what's going on behind closed doors because privacy is really important. So everyone needs to ask themselves, what are your core values personally? And are you adhering to them? And if you're not, stop. It's actually a pretty easy gauge. Whenever you feel like, oh, this isn't in alignment with me. And the best example I can give is uh, people that you surround yourself with. You sometimes will surround yourself with people that you know you're not aligned with, but you have a really good time. And, and you're around them in the moment. It seems cool. And you're part of the group. But every time you go home, you're like, oh, that was a lot of work. This would be where, you know what? Let's reestablish boundaries. I have a good time for 10 minutes. And that's as much as I can be with that person. Cool. That's in alignment with myself. So it's not a question I can answer for anybody. It's really answering for yourself. What do you value most? And just make sure you're in alignment with that yourself. Yeah. And something else that came up for me as you were sharing that is circling back to letting go is maybe to some degree to consider how much are you holding on to the opinions of others in mm. what you share? <laughs> and just as a little takeaway for you today, JM, this has been such a fun conversation. Thank you for being here. Look, I know you've got a book out. I want you to tell us a little bit about that. And then for listeners today who want to connect with you and learn from you and potentially work with you, where can they find you online? Well, you're awesome. And thank you so much. I do. My most recent book is called Upgrade. And the whole idea is people don't like change, but we all love to upgrade. So just take a, you know, sit with that for a second. We upgrade our cell phones all the time. You go to the airplane and it's like, oh, Mr. Ryerson, we put you up to first class. That's a change, but I'm fired up about it. So that's what the most recent uh, book is all about. Let's go win.com. The let's go win podcast. Absolutely. Check it out. And uh, let's go win 365 for social media. So uh, thank you for having me. You're awesome. You ask really good questions. And I just really, I'm honored to be on your show. Oh, we're honored to have you here. Thank you, JM, for all that you shared today. Look, 
for you listening, go follow JM. We're linking everything up for you in the show notes to make it easy to click through. Go click through, pick a social media channel to follow him on. I see his videos every day. It's always such a joy to see his face in my feed. He's always sharing such good stuff. It's so real and you've got the business stuff in there, but you've also got the personal stuff too. And you do a really great job connecting with your community. So I encourage everyone to check it out. JM, thanks again for being here. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining me here today for another episode of Anti-Fragile Entrepreneurship. And look, make sure you head to the show notes right now before you move on to anything else so that you can connect with JM, get into his world and start learning from him so that you can learn how to keep your team from underperforming and actually build the supportive, initiative-taking, rockstar team that you envision. And listen, if this episode was helpful for you, And guess what? There's someone else out there right now who needs to hear this too. So click the share button and text this episode to a friend or share it out on your Instagram stories. And while you're on Instagram, let's make sure we're connected there too. You can find me at the Courtney Elmer and DM me. Let me know what your biggest takeaway was from this episode here today or any of the episodes that you've listened to on the show recently. And then next week, join me back right here where I am going behind the scenes to show you some of the recent pivots that we've made in my own company. And the one thing that you need to do to find clarity anytime you're in a season of change or uncertainty. I'll see you right back here next week. And until then, let's go out there and grow through what we go through together. As you might've heard me mention inside this episode, if you want to join me for our next live workshop, where I'm going to show you how to avoid the biggest mistakes that cause most podcasts to fail within the first 12 months and literally walk you through the exact framework that we teach our students to launch their shows in the top 100 and convert more of their listeners to clients, just go to the effortlesslife.co forward slash podcast workshop. That's the effortlesslife.co forward slash podcast workshop. 